0: The Start On On Demand.
1: If Mayor Brian Bowman's home were broken into, would he, as a citizen of Winnipeg, want police to respond to his home? We asked him that question as we discussed violence in our city and how police are overstretched. Just over a week out from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers' home opener, we talked to star running back Andrew Harris who says doesn't really feel like the season has begun until you play at home kildonan place will be the home of a brand new huge movie theater and entertainment destination in 2021 to replace the old movie theater that got us wondering what was your favorite movie place as a kid i'm brett mcgarry alongside greg mackling and loren mcnab we are mackling mcgarry and mcnab and this is the wednesday june 19th podcast for the start McGarry and McNabb.
2: I like
3: how you said that. And McNabb. She's here. She's back. Here. I'm just so much more tan than I was five days ago, right? You are. Oh, I know. You got so much color. Oh, I do so well in the sun. I should I, just stay well, you out there didn't get a longer. sunburn. It's true. I didn't. So that's yeah. the win. That's the only win. If you don't get a sunburn.
0: People are thinking you're a ghost. <laughs> you ghosting us
3: Every time I come back from any vacation people are like did you even go anywhere I'm like yes I just don't damn leave me alone <laughs> Plus it rained all weekend so
1: And you still got some color figure that out <sighs> Did it rain like Saturday Sunday Monday Tuesday yeah.
3: Saturday Sunday Monday at Clear Lake for sure Oh But it was still good. I like that because then you're just forced to chill out and read a book and no one gets to, everyone moves a little slower. I don't mind the rain.
0: The pace is good. Mm -hmm. I like it. Did you get some White House cinnamon buns this time? No. What is the deal?
3: Because my son has a nut allergy, so we don't go to bakeries. That doesn't mean you
0: can't go. I
3: know, but that seems mean. What Watch as mom eats this delicious cinnamon bun. Oh, oh, no. You
0: just leave them at home and you go, I'll be back in an hour.
1: <laughs> what is this White House cinnamon bun?
0: Uh, it's like the best cinnamon bun anywhere. Uh, Kathleen Nealon and her family. Uh, Kathleen actually used to, she's from Minidosa, but she used to work for me at Silver Star Ski Resort like 20 years ago. She, and You worked at a ski resort? Oh, yeah. It was the best <laughs> winter ever. What,
3: what else would he have done with that flowing mane? <laughs> That's
0: right. Oh, yeah. You guys saw some of those pictures, didn't you? And uh, anyway, the best uh, best cinnamon buns in Manitoba. I'm just
3: laughing because uh, when I mentioned I was going to Clear Lake, I don't know, on social media somewhere, you're at least three people who are former there or four wrote from Ottawa and Toronto and like the States. You're going you're gonna to hit the White House and really? get a cinnamon bun? Yeah. And I was like, what is with these people? It is. They are very good. Don't get me wrong.
0: What does Barney say from How I Met Your Mother? They are legend. Wait for it.
1: Uh, <laughs> okay, well there, yet another reason for me to head up to that part of the province because I have not been up there yet. So I'll go I gotta go golfing at Clear Lake mm-hmm. and then go get a cinnamon bun at the White House. Mayor Brian Bowman joining us this morning at seven forty five. And we're gonna talk about gun violence. I know Greg, uh, we had a conversation this week about guns and how you are kind of wondering if maybe it's time For uh, you to change sort of your perspective.
0: I've changed my perspective on the whole idea of, of protecting my home and my family in a different fashion.
3: With getting the gun?
0: That's part of the consideration, yes. Yes, it is. And yeah, that's a line that I never imagined that I I would cross. I mean, someone
3: who grew up on a farm where you did have access to guns, they were, you know, at one point in the front closet and then, you know, later in life locked up according Mm -hmm. to law and all the rest. I still don't like the idea of it. I don't really
0: either, but I'm starting to... I
3: particularly don't like the, just even the suggestion that that's where we need to go. I don't think that's where we need to go. Well, I'm I'm starting to have that discussion with myself
0: and... uh, (sighs) It it kind of bothers me that I've gotten to this point because it is uh, an overall feeling uh, about a lack of safety in our community that's pushed me ever closer to perhaps uh, taking that step.
3: Well, we do hear a lot of people, you were telling stories about someone watching just basic shoplifting. You know, you're in a store now, you see that more. We're going to tell a story in the next segment about this crazy theft in Transcona. A guy digging, or men or women or whomever, tunneling their way basically into a meat shop to get some meat. So you do for sure feel that crime is on the rise. I am not there to be wanting a gun in my house. Period.
1: We'll or encouraging
3: the, anyone to have a gun in their house, period.
1: Well, we'll have to ask the mayor. What do thinks about that? You know, what's your reaction to the fact that Greg is uh, now thinking about this because of where our community is going? Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We're going to tell you a story about somebody who apparently really wanted to get their hands on some meat.
3: It, it's getting to this point, you know, when you hear these stories of, the theft and what they're stealing. It's like, are they even stealing anything? Is, are they just after loose chains? Like, what's happening here? But a Transcona butcher says he was flabbergasted at the efforts thieves went to to break into his store this week. He's the owner of East End Meats and Sausage, and he says the thieves carved through drywall and would early Monday morning just to get inside his store. The question is to take what? Well, as Global's Merrick Cash explains, there is one particular item stolen that has the owner worried
2: there will be less meat to process at East End Meats in Transcona for the time being. Like a giant rat came in through. A big 200-pound rat dug a hole through the wall. That's what it looks like.
1: Hundreds of dollars worth of garlic sausage and pork tenderloin was pinched, along with hundreds in cash and a 13-inch butcher knife. My main concern, though, is that they actually
2: took my 13-inch blade. It's a it's a saber. Um, it's, it's a tool for me, but now it's a weapon to somebody and that's one of my biggest concerns.
1: Chris Campbell discovered the opening on Monday leading from outside the building to inside the
2: washroom. They literally peeled open the side of the building like a like a tin can, like a kid that couldn't get in and they, they peeled back the metal and they must have had tools because they got through quite a bit of a drywall and some some wood just just to get in. They called the police first thing
1: Monday morning. Investigators have yet to show up at the store. Merrick DeCash, Global News
0: any word if there's increased security at pierogi shops around the city?
3: <laughs> <laughs> What's next? Onions? Sour, Sour cream? Caramelized onions?
0: You never know. Uh, the concern, I, I get that concern with regards to that weapon that was stolen, sure. right? Uh, we can joke about this all we want, but meat uh, seems to be coming. We talk about bicycles being the the monetary uh, way of the of the criminal world. Yeah, but people chopping me- up
3: bikes for their drug addiction or whatever right. for parts. But what what's the point with the meat? Well, meat Eating is it, expensive. Selling it?
0: Meat is expensive. You know, uh, a tray of steaks, 30, 40 bucks. You can turn that into 10, 15 dollars. <laughs> Tanya, this uh, this meth thing is making people do goofy stuff. Now, there's no proof that this is involved here. The other concern, I guess that that we all had when we discussed this earlier, was the fact that as of yesterday, the police still hadn't been on the scene to check things out yet. Well, yeah. and
1: whoever did this, maybe knew the layout because they they tunneled in through the bathroom, right? Mm-hmm. So they knew they knew where to rip open the wall. On the outside and good punch point. into the building.
3: I just that, can't. Can you believe the length of that though? For that little of reward, I'm not saying like your crime should be condoned if they take off with millions of dollars yeah. versus like two rings of kubasa. But the work the people are going to to commit a crime for for very little is insane to me.
1: Maybe it's just good sausage. It like I said, be. I was at my barber shop yesterday, Tony's Barber Shop, and I asked barber Joe, or he says they, they like broke in through the wall, and I said what. And uh, I said, "Is it? They have good meat there?" So, oh yeah, it's real good.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I know, but still, like you hear these stories, and you're like, listening to what people are doing, right?" Just to get, just to get ahead a little bit. I don't, I don't get it. I, for, as far as the police are concerned, in their response, they have said repeatedly their, their calls for service are way up. Yes, and obviously, priority of life will go over something like this. No one's hurt. The crime's over. All the rest. But yeah,
0: there's a 13-inch saber that's on the streets of Winnipeg that wouldn't otherwise be on the streets of Winnipeg. That's gotta be a
1: concern. Come on! Tackling McGarry McNabb, we learned yesterday morning that a new Cineplex Theatre is coming to Winnipeg at Kildonan Place. Part of the old Sears building is going to be demolished to allow construction of the new cinema that will include luxury recliner seats in each of the six auditoriums. It's also going to include virtual reality experiences, amusement games for all ages, several dining options, construction expected to begin late next year and should be complete by 2021. So we thought we'd have a chat about our favorite movie theaters growing up, or if you have amusing memories you want to share. I'll start us off by saying I was a fan of the Capitol Theater downtown, but also the Met before, you know, when it was a movie Mm -hmm. theater. When I was six years old in 1983, my dad took me to see Return of the Jedi. Twice, because the first time I went to see it, I was a scaredy cat (laughs) and had to leave when the Rancor monster first appeared. Oh boy. But then I felt bad. I wanted to be a big man. I said to my dad, "I'm sorry we left. I should. I'm six years old now. I shouldn't be scared of this stuff."
3: I don't know. Six is the six. I get it. Like I was scared of the Wizard of Oz at that age, so I could see Star what Wars. Was it the beams. monkeys. Oh yeah, those the, scary. the monkeys were scary. The no, the monkeys, man. No,
0: the monkeys are just scary. Oh, yeah. yeah, I agree with you. Or the uh, Ovions from Battlestar Galactica, the
1: four. No clue what you're talking about. Four
0: armed <laughs> <laughs> <loser>. <laughs>
1: OVR. Okay. <laughs> so I asked him to take me back. So we went back the following week, and we can, when the Rancor came on, I just took a deep breath and puffed out my chest and boy. said, "You're not going to scare me today, Rancor." Good job. Brett. And uh, I sat through it. So that I, I liked those old theaters. But what about you guys?
0: Well, it's kind of funny. I've I've seen like probably ninety percent of my movies at Kildonan Place, and it's uh, if you've been there, it's due for uh, remodeling for sure.
1: Yes, and I'm uh, excited about that. Yeah, too. but I, I don't. My, my favorite... living
0: room is bigger than some of those <laughs> yeah. theaters. Uh, but probably my best movie experience is probably the Forty Year Old Virgin. That's the one that kind of sticks out most. It was a packed theater. Everybody was just killing themselves laughing, and then once everybody in the theater gets going. Uh, it can be really a lot of fun, a great, you know, theater experience for comedy. So that, that's probably my, like, was favorite. Was that Kildan Place? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was that Place, yeah, and the big one there. So Does it yeah, matter
3: it was- to you then if it's, like, is it about, you know, because I just recently tried the new... Recliner ones. Grant Park. Grant Park. I think it was Grant Park. And it was like, yes, where have you been all my I, life? I,
0: I, I've remained ignorant on and, that on purposely because I don't want to. I, I can't. If I go there, I don't think I'll be able to go back. Right. You won't.
3: Yeah. yeah. And so now I wonder, you know, like, is it what, what defines a good experience? Because sometimes it just is that old nostalgia feeling. Sometimes the movie's just really good. Sometimes it's the people you're with. Those recliners, I'm going to sleep in them one day. So, and you guys, miss the whole thing.
1: You remember the North Star?
3: Yeah. That's on my list. On Portage? Yes. What hotel was that in?
0: That was in the, uh, now Radisson. Okay. It, yeah. So that, the the Winnip- uh, North Star Inn, or Once Upon a Time. Okay. And uh, my Auntie Kathy used to take us to... to to movies there all the time. I think that's where I saw the first Batman movie. Yes, I did too! It was so big, it was so it must have had a hundred rows. I mean, I know I'm exaggerating, but it was a huge theater and it was a really neat place uh, to see a film. Uh, the Strand Theater in Brandon, which was mm-hmm. just uh, bulldozed in the last uh, year or so. I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark on opening night there. That was something special. Sweet. I saw
3: The Lion King there, the first. Oh The original. Is that the, the original? Yeah, I think the, so. Oh, yeah, that
0: be the original. <laughs> People have to talk about it now, but I think the best movie theaters that Winnipeg ever had was uh, were the three theaters at Portage Place.
1: You liked Portage Place? I eh? loved
0: Portage Place. Um, you know... <laughs> Why? Clean, big. I'm
3: trying I were the IMAX there. Fantastic.
0: They were just, they were, they were the latest and greatest yeah. when they opened. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was fairly luxurious. I saw you two as it rattle and hum, their uh, big on screen experience back in uh, November of, oh my gosh, 1988.
1: I do actually mm-hmm. miss the IMAX theater at Portage Place because that was a true IMAX screen. It was, yes. yeah. You know, when you, the, the one over here at Silver City Polar Park, I know that that's IMAX, at least the IMAX branding, but the true full IMAX experience, the only place you could see that in Winnipeg was Portage Place. Four stories or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah.
0: It was incredible. Uh, well, Saw
1: the Rolling Stones in concert there. Oh, nice. That was something.
2: Well, I remember, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that, Greg, because I remember as a kid, uh, we would go to the IMAX at Portage Place all the time for the documentaries mm-hmm. and- and you know, and and I, I've I've kind of seen some. You can watch some of those on YouTube or wherever else now. But it's just I remember as a kid, this gargantuan screen in front of you, and they're, you're exploring like the formation of the galaxy or whatever it may be. We saw another one about the rainforests in Brazil, and just just the the sheer scope and magnitude of that it blows me away today. And as a kid, I was absolutely engrossed in that so thanks for the reminder oh, yeah, because, like it,
0: there'd be times oh. where we're like you know the camera would go like over a canyon yes and you'd have that
2: butterfly feeling yeah. in your stomach it was really cool oh it was so cool i that's i do miss that a lot because and it was a good family experience there too. was
0: no making out at the imax theater yeah. like, it was
3: so <laughs> right. pretty grossing. hard to get in the mood when
4: it's like yeah, all the around you. crosses yeah. the
0: plane yeah. <laughs> Call like, me you gotta come over here Colony Theater. The Colony at Portage and uh, Memorial, Portage and Colony. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, the, uh, right where the Investors Group uh, building is right now. That was a neat place to, to catch a movie as well. What about some of the
3: drive-ins?
1: Yeah, I miss the drive-in. I
0: I remember the my drive-in. mom, like, we'd have
3: supper. We'd have, like, a shepherd's pie and bring out a blanket and make a whole night out of it.
1: I only went to the drive-in I think once that I remember, and when I was a kid, and it was a terrible movie. It was He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, Dolph oh, oh. Lundgren. Well my parents drove this old Pontiac uh, station wagon, so we were sort of the lying Sabre. in the back. So did you get uh, backed in, watch it all the back? No, no, no. We were just, you know, we could see through the window, and there we were sticker heads out the window. I don't know, but uh, somebody mentioning here the Garrick. How mm-hmm. can I forget about the Garrick? Mm-hmm. I used to love going to see. I saw Jurassic Park. At the Garrick. I remember a buddy of mine wanted to go see uh, a movie, and I said, Well, I only want to see Jurassic Park, and it's got to be at the Garrick. I won't go anywhere else to see it. He was mad, but he did it.
0: Did Didn't the drive ins used to uh, charge by the purse or something like that? People would jump and hide in the trunk. Correct, Jeff 4 yeah.
3: Under a blanket?
0: Yeah. I mean, so I heard. I heard that people <laughs> did that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now
3: that's where some make it out happened. Maybe not at an IMAX, at but the at a drive in? For
1: sure. Did you ever go to the Starlight drive in, Greg? I did. You sure
0: did, where all the uh, car dealerships are now on that south side of uh, Regent Avenue, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Hey, have you ever been driving down the street or at the stoplight, and your car starts shaking, coffee's rippling, and you're quite sure there may in fact be uh, an earthquake happening in Winnipeg? Probably doesn't translate too well on AM radio, but we've all been there, right? Looking around, wondering... What's going on?
1: Somebody with the big 15-inch subs in the
0: back. The whole thing shaking. Well, I'll definitely get your... In Is some that the cases. sound of
1: the car shaking? Yeah. The car frame? <laughs> <laughs>
0: The the rocker panels are literally vibrating in this video. Uh, Definitely gets uh, most often your unwanted attention. Now, we had at least one text message from a listener who said, can you guys please stop playing the sound of that siren? It's driving my dog crazy. Here's your warning. We're going to be playing it for those that haven't heard it. So just turn down your radio for about 30 seconds. Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service. Have a new siren which borrows this potentially aggravating reality of life in the city. The siren sends out a heavy duty baseline that makes your vehicle vibrate as it comes closer. Here's Joe Scarpelli. You can certainly hear them roaring down the street, but now you can actually feel some Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service vehicles approaching. Here's what one of them sounds like. And here's what a regular
2: siren sounds like. And if you can't hear the difference, you should be able to feel it. It's almost like a bass speaker kind of tone and um,
4: uh, resonates like a vibrationary kind of a a feel. It actually vibrates their back window and their car. The devices are about the size of a coffee can and cost about
2: $1,500 each. They were installed in six District Chief of Paramedic Operations vehicles last year. Considering all the positive feedback... There are more plans to install them in more emergency vehicles. People
4: just go, what's that? And they turn turn to the right and move out of the way immediately. It's a huge difference
1: compared to the regular signs we have.
0: And of course, this doesn't change the driver's responsibility when an emergency vehicle is approaching. Pull over to the right and stop.
1: I remember when I was 18, I was driving my friends home from the big A we were at the A, driving back to Transcona. Why and, would you
0: ever leave the A? Well, <laughs> We should just <laughs> stay. We had to go home eventually. <laughs> oh, okay, okay.
1: And I was the designated driver that night, but it, we were using my my buddy's car. He had a Dodge Lancer, but he had he had peeled off the N and the C and replaced it with a K that he got from a K car. So it said Laker, because his his name is Jamie Laker. But uh, he had a big stereo like the one you played in that first clip. He had the big subwoofers, and the, the guys were all drunk, and the music was blasting, and I had no idea that there was a cop behind me trying to pull me over because I had been speeding. I was doing a sixty-two and a fifty, mm-hmm. and uh,
3: because you couldn't hear,
1: yeah, because I couldn't hear. I just looked up in the window and thought, jeez, there's a cop behind me." So I, you're lucky it was only one. So that maybe I would have been able to hear this siren or feel that siren over top of the music that we were playing. Cause I've heard these sirens before and you see them in movies and yeah, that you, there's no escaping that sound of that kind of woo. woo, woo, woo. I had
3: gone on a ride along with uh, fire paramedic service, I think about two or three years ago, just for this exact reason, just to show how people don't move over or don't really know what to do when they hear those sirens. And I think the worst was, I want to say 14 seconds of just counting until this guy was like, Oh, And then slowly, like, kind of moved into the right lane and then moved back to the middle because there was really no route. It was just this whole confusing process. So it's a big deal, like, to watch how people don't move or don't know where to go. And if you ever are at Portage of Maine when an emergency vehicle is trying to go through and just the other day happened to me yesterday, chaos, and people just sit there. And I don't know if it's because they don't hear or they just think it's not my problem. They can find another way. Like, I don't know.
0: I think it's more they can't hear.
3: But if you, but if you are, if it's your loved one in that ambulance, or yep. they're going to get your loved one, and you're not hearing it because you've got your music up, or you're not paying attention, or it sounds like it's going in another direction, I'm all for this.
0: Okay, how is it <laughs> with all this technology that we have in our vehicles? How is it that there is not something that can be put on a transmitter on these emergency vehicles? That would indicate on your fancy LED screen that would say, hey, you have an emergency vehicle approaching from behind, from the left, from the right. You'd have to think by now, somebody could come up with something like this as opposed to shaking you into awareness with something as primitive as basically a subwoofer. There's got to be a way to have these emergency vehicles communicate with your your personal vehicle to say, hey, uh, we're coming
1: behind you. There's got to be something. Oh, maybe you should trademark that, Mackley. Mm. Brian Bowman. Joining us live in studio, Mr. Mayor, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. How are you?
2: Good, man. How are you? I'm great.
1: Thanks for great. coming yeah. in to
2: see us. Nice, beautiful, sunny day there.
1: Well, not something not yeah. beautiful, and a t- listener just yeah. pointing out, the old PSB public safety building <laughs> looked like a jail because it was the old remand centre before the one we know was built. It should look depressing and not like a hotel. <laughs> yeah,
3: but it's time for it to go. So before we get to other stuff, are, sure. we, are we talking about if this proposal's passed ne- next week and it moves on to council, yeah. that demolition could start this summer?
2: Uh, later this year, yes, um, we, uh, yeah, I mean that that land is not doing very much for Winnipeg right now and for downtown, and so it can do a lot more for the revitalization of our downtown. And so, Center Venture has done some amazing work. Um, if we could simply press a button and and detonate the PSB, but PSB, I would be, you know, you know, wanting to do that. But there's uh, there's asbestos and other things. It needs to be done in a in a precise way for the safety of everybody, and so. Um, yeah, The, it's the possibility
3: be, would be fall then, though, for a demolition to start? I think start, that's the or? timeline
2: we're looking at, yeah. And so, uh, you know, go to committee and then ultimately council. And, uh, you know, the the budgeted amounts are, I think, two $3 million lower than than budgeted. I think the public service is recommending that that money stay in the budget in case there's any unanticipated costs. Um, but uh, things are progressing very well, and uh, it, it's a transformative opportunity for that part of the downtown. You know, right now you've got this... The, the old PSB, which you've got the scaffolding around to protect people from falling chunks of concrete, um, it's a purpose-built building. It's a, It's got, you know, a firing range. It's got jail cells. Um, you know, it's, it's long outlived its usefulness. And so uh, we want to make the best of that, those lands uh, in a way that's going to help, you know, build downtown the, the way that uh, we see right now. Public safety is something I want
0: to talk to you about today, yeah. Mr. Mayor. And just this idea that uh, Winnipeg has seen more homicides this year to this point than it saw all of last year. It's got to be a concern. But at the grassroots level, we're hearing about this break-in at this uh, meat store in Transcona, and we're hearing from our listeners that when their homes get broken into, the police don't have time to attend to these things. Years ago, that would never be the case. It would always come... What level of service should we be expecting from police? And does it concern you that they're not al- that they're not able to provide that level of service to our citizens?
2: Well, let's uh, let's start with uh, uh, recognizing the the different roles that uh, elected officials, the police board, and the police service have. Um, firstly, I, I haven't heard about the uh, the break in in Transcona, so I'm I'm obviously sorry to hear about that. Um, what we need to ensure is that the oversight of the Winnipeg Police Board. And the priorities that they're setting for the police service align with community need. And that's the role of the Winnipeg Police Board. Um, We've provided record historic funding to the police service. If it were simply a matter of of, uh, councils, and I'm not just talking about our council, but previous councils, spending more money and getting very, very different results, then obviously the crime wouldn't be where it is right now. We need to scrutinize the dollars. We need to make sure that we're working collaboratively with uh, an outstanding Winnipeg Police Service-in-Chief. Uh, to make sure that we're scrutinizing in the way that the community expects. That's the role of the police board. In the meantime, there's still a role for other levels of government, as well as city council, to play. Uh, the illicit drug strategy that's being implemented by the police service is is demonstrating results. Um, obviously, I think the police is is on the right path there with enforcement, uh, you know, education, and intervention to deal with the meth crisis. And that's something that I continually raise with the prime minister, with the premier, with others, we're constantly looking at ways in which we can combat the meth crisis right now, which we know is fueling property crimes and, and other crimes in our community.
0: The number of gun calls, the number of interaction with individuals between police and those individuals with weapons that we don't want them to have is growing all the time. We talk about a meth crisis. Do we have a crime crisis in Winnipeg? And are you talking to the police in
2: that fashion that the status quo is just not going to work here? I don't think anybody is gonna say that the status quo is acceptable. I mean, we obviously need to do better as a community. And so um, it's uh, it's one of my top priorities is making sure that the resources are there for the police service. We wanna make sure the safety of our, our members are, are are there, but also the broader community. Um, we wanna make sure that we're doing what we can to deal with the root causes. I mean, right now, I mean, the police service in many ways is, I mean, they're, they're the cleanup crew. They They come in when other checks and balances in society aren't working. And right now, we know that there's a a, a desperate need for more me- mental health and addiction support. We know we have a homelessness problem in Winnipeg. These are the things that that I'm really focusing in on as as mayor because these are within you know my authority and council's authority. How the police are spending you know over three hundred million dollars is is that's the scrutiny that the police service. And the police board are responsible for looking at that those priorities are are aligned with the community need.
0: Last question on this. Uh, if Citizen Mayor Bowman has his house broken into, does he expect that the Winnipeg Police Service show up at his house and take fingerprints or at least do something that... Would give him the indication that they're trying to catch that police are trying to do something to find out who did this to him. I'll leave the operations
2: of the police service to the chief. That's a question for but the But as chief a citizen. would
0: you want that? I would, would want them, you expect that.
2: I, I would want them to do what they can to use the resources they have in the most uh, in the most effective and efficient way. And whether or not that involves fingerprinting for property crimes, I'll leave that for the chief of police uh, to to answer. Um, look, you, obviously every citizen wants the police to be doing as much as possible. We have high expectations for the police service and we have a chief of police and a police service that I think uh, does does really good work that we should be proud of. Um, but again, you know, city council's uh, responsibilities, make sure they have the funding, 300, you know, over $300 million this year, we've never spent that much on policing. And, uh, you know, from there, we looked for the police board to make sure they're scrutinizing, make sure those priorities are appropriate.
3: The funding may go up year over year. Part yeah. of that is just, you know, rate of inflation and salaries and all the rest. I know there's there's more to it yeah. than that. I know it's not yeah. that simple. I know that, that you can argue that it's been incredible increases or good increases uh, year over year. But at the end of the day, I think what Greg is pointing to is sort of this feeling in the community that you're on this precip- precipice and that, what used to be, you know, that used to happen in that neighborhood or that wouldn't happen in my backyard. And I didn't worry about those things. is now all, felt all over the city. So I think the feeling of public safety has really changed and therefore has people asking the question about, you know, should police come to your home? I think the answer is yes, they should, but they can't now. And so are there backroom conversations taking place that say something else has to shift or something else has to happen beyond just saying, look, they have the money, do with it what you will.
2: Yeah, they're, they're not backroom conversations. I mean, I'm having them with you right now. I mean, right now, we We need to do better as a society and as a community. And there's a role for the police, but when it comes to the meth crisis, which is a crisis and is affecting property crimes, for example, uh, as well as some of the violence that we're seeing in our community, and we hear that from our chief of police. He says that publicly and regularly, that this is, in fact, a crisis. The question is, what do we do about it? And so the police service has their illicit drug strategy they're implementing. The police board has a role to play, but I'm really looking at, okay, there, we know we're in a meth crisis. We know that it's driving property crimes, for example, up as well as violence in our community. What's the underlying root causes? Because what I'd like to do is reduce the calls for service. How do we reduce the calls to service so that the demand on the police service is reduced? That benefits the people that are subjected to those crimes, often violent crimes, and of course, it stretches police resources. And so that's why we're focusing on the illicit drug task force, working with other levels of government.
3: That's the one that's, so six months ago yesterday, they yep. launched the illicit drug Ta- task force in this province. They promised to have a report out six in a six-month time frame. Yep. We're now in a blackout period with a elect, provincial election lumen. Have you been given any date to which we might see some recommendations from that report, given that we're now past that six-month date?
2: Short answer is no, but we are expecting it very, very soon and we're not in a blackout phase and that report will need to be Made public. We can't wait for a blackout period or an election. The the work is, as we're discussing this morning, too important to, to let politics get in the way of action. And keep in mind, the purpose of the illicit drug task force was to compel short term and long term actions by all levels of government.
3: And so soon to you is this month.
2: Uh, I'd say in the coming weeks for sure. It, it, you know, we 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 want to get something out, and we want to more importantly, it's not about the report; it's about the actions to follow because a lot more needs to be done. Mental health, addictions in particular, enforcement. Which uh, we've seen some some good positive strides, and I think there's really good alignment on enforcement. But what's driving people to use illicit drugs like meth? That's that's something that we need to do a better job as a society if we're really going to combat the calls for service and the crime that we're seeing.
1: We have about um, one minute left. Uh, transit sure. negotiations. Where are we at?
2: Um, well, uh, they're ongoing. Um, you know, look, we uh, we heard for years that safety was the number one priority of ATU and we listened and we responded this most recent budget uh, really demonstrated that uh, the city of Winnipeg took the demands of ATU and our operators very very seriously and we invested millions of dollars in safety uh, there are shifting priorities from ATU now as is often the case in negotiations it's coming down to dollars and we're going to we're going to work very hard to get a deal at the table that's um that's fair to taxpayers as well as our valued employees.
1: Mayor Brian Bowman joining us live on 680 CJOB. We got about 30 seconds. It's bike to Is bike week, Winnipeg. Yep. You've been riding your bike this week. I have not
2: been yet. I do plan on, um, it's I don't a own a bike busy. either. So I, I oh put no, you on I the own spot. A bike. Yeah. My family's been out biking. It's been a little bit of a busy week for me, but, uh, I do plan on getting out and biking. It's, uh, you know, and, and kudos to everybody that's involved in promoting, uh, promoting bike safety and awareness about bikes on our roads um, we're building up the uh the active trans transportation infrastructure we're playing catch up to other cities but when it comes to uh the at investments we want to see uh, safer commutes for everybody uh certainly those that are that are you know riding their bikes
3: we talked about the robbery at the Transcona butchery or butcher uh, earlier this week it happened overnight or early monday morning The butcher owner told us yesterday that as of yesterday afternoon, police still hadn't come to investigate the fact that someone had basically dug a tunnel into their back wall and stole sausages and and a giant knife that's often used in that industry. And so then we had other people writing in saying, well, you know, that they've had break and enters at their house and police have come, but not until many days later or a week later or not come at all. And so your question was, but what should my expectation be? Yes, I get I'm busy or the police are busy. But if I'm just a regular citizen, I still expect the police to show up at my door eventually. I,
0: I didn't ask that question just because it's a pie in the sky thing. It's because that was the level of service that was received in the past. And so it was supposed to be a springboard. And this should be a springboard, in my opinion, to the larger question is what is keeping police busy? And to keep this in the spotlight in terms of what do we need to do? To get the crime rate to where it needs to be so that when we actually need a police officer, when we actually want to see one versus when they're handing us a speeding ticket, they will show up on my doorstep and make me feel better about what's going on in my neighborhood and what's
1: just taking place in my home, in my castle. Text message at 204 6868 Someone saying, no, Mr. Bowman, I expect the police to look after their citizens, leaving them feeling victimized again is horrible. Add trauma to trauma. You bet your butt, you would want and expect police to come after an incident.
3: Now, the police have said we've had them on here saying that they have to prioritize calls, and so if you're not feeling, if you're not, if you're, if your life isn't in danger or there's not an imminent threat, then that moves lower down in the priority list. And and I certainly understand that. I think your bigger point, Greg, is that what's the big change? What's if, on that if list? If we've had more police officers and, the, and and the mayor's assertion is that they're getting more money than ever before, then where are we in terms of how we deal with that priority list? Well, and it comes if to that's where we're at.
0: Are we being honest with ourselves? Or are we being honest with each other about what's going on in our community? Because if we're not receiving this level of service that once of once upon a time was a given, and now it's uh, it's uh, an exception. I don't know. That, that's what I want to know. Where are we at and how do we get here? And how do we get to a point when I do call and
1: want some service, it's not several hours or several days later? Well, here's a text message we read earlier that sort of captures how things have changed. Our home was broken into and robbed two years in a row. The trauma we felt... Would have only compounded if the police would not have come. The second time, I, pregnant at the time, walked in on them. Long story, but one thief jumped out of the soon-to-be baby's room when I walked in on him. I marched the second one out of the house from the basement. No, not brave, more angry that we were being robbed again. I would not allow the guy in the basement to take our gym bag, which he filled with our VCR... Yes, this happened in 1985, and other belongings. Because I did not let him take the bag, after the police came, within 20 minutes, they were able to get fingerprints off the beer bottles, and they were arrested. And guess what? In court, we found out there was a third person. He was hiding in the dining area, and when I went out into the basement to get that hooligan out, he ran out the front door. So... Police came twenty minutes later, got fingerprints, and they caught the guys that did it.
3: Year again was nineteen eighty-five.
1: Correct. That's what that was the whole point of pointing out yep. the, how things have changed.
3: Yeah, the Trans Mountain Pipeline Expansion has been given the green light. To proceed, this says several. How many was it? One hundred and twelve. Uh, Brett Indigenous groups around that there a, yeah. had said they would fight the the protest or protest the expansion. And then you have the BC government suggesting it's open to continuing its fight against the pipeline in court. And so that has everybody asking, will this thing even get built? Christopher Reagan is the associate professor of economics at McGill University and has written extensively about the pipelines and the economic pros and cons. And joins us now. Good morning, Christopher. Good morning. So let's just start with that. I know you can't you're, you can't read the tea leaves like anyone else, but the prime minister says he hopes to see shovels in the ground this construction season. Given the fact that we know this will lead to more protests, is this a pretty lofty goal?
4: Well, I, look, I don't know how, how quickly you can get shovels in the ground, but I do think that this is a decision that he made, uh, in his view, in the national interest, national economic interest, and I agree with that. I, you know, I have no doubt that there will be protests, and there are certainly, uh, I think, local environmental issues and other local issues that matter. But I think we've also gone through a process that has laid down lots of conditions uh, that, you know, that, that need to be satisfied. Um, So I think what we've got to do is try to get the economic benefits for the country that come from this uh, this new pipeline or this pipeline expansion while paying attention to those local issues that are very important. And uh, I think that balance can absolutely be struck.
0: I think the balance is the key word because you have to balance out the potential environmental impacts of of a project like this and the good and the bad and everything uh, surrounding that. This idea of getting our oil or the bitumen to tide water. For those that are uninitiated, tell us why that's so important. And who's going to buy this? Canada and China aren't getting along right. very well right now. Uh, does that uh, put the economics of this project in jeopardy at all?
4: Well, okay, so great questions. First of all, there's no problem in selling our oil because the world is still, you know, consuming uh, something like 100 million barrels of oil a day. So there's no problem in actually selling Canada's oil. Um, The problem for the past few years has been getting our oil to tidewater where it can command the world price. Uh, And the problem in the last few years is that we've been uh, producing more oil in mostly in Alberta, and because we can't get it to tidewater with pipeline, it's been basically building up as a glut, and that's been driving down the local price. And in fact, what we've been doing is basically giving. Uh, or selling the oil at a low price to American refineries. Now, if we actually have this new pipeline, we'll be able to send that oil in the pipeline to Tidewater and get a higher price. Over the past few years, there has been, uh, you know, it's been a variable discount, what's called the oil discount, but it's been something like $10 a barrel on average that we've been losing because of the inability to get that oil to, to, to Tidewater. So, that's the nature of the economic benefits. You build this pipeline, the oil now gets to tidewater, it gets a higher price, and that will generate huge income gains for Alberta, and some of those, of course, get taxed, which means income gains for the rest of the country. So this is a, a significant project that is in the national economic interest.
3: How do I reconcile the idea, though, if I'm, I'm a voter out there listening to, yeah, sure, I can hear the economic gains, but we just had the House of Commons declare a climate emergency ahead of this decision. And how are you supposed to balance the idea that we're supposed to be doing our part to lower everything from emissions to projects like this that could impact the environment and then also right. say, but we need to go ahead and do what's best for the economy?
4: Well, right. I think that's a great question. And I think, I think that point hasn't been uh, adequately explained. By this government, but I, I believe that it is entirely consistent to build a new pipeline and to get that oil production to market, but at the same time, work hard to reduce emissions, greenhouse gas emissions domestically, which is why you have uh, climate policies, and including front and center for that would be a carbon price. So we can reduce our emissions domestically, and I think you've got provinces that are doing this now and the federal government that is doing this as well. And at the same time, you can make sure that our oil gets to market. Remember that that global oil demand is something like 100 million barrels a day and rising. Uh, And so the world will be using a lot of oil for many years. So we can actually satisfy some of that demand from Canadian oil, but at the same time, we can be working to change the way we consume domestically, and a carbon price is front and, front and center of that. Well, so right I think d- those two things go go very well together, but I do agree that I think our governments haven't explained that as well as they could.
0: For, for years in Manitoba, Manitoba Hydro has been trying to encourage us to conserve our energy here so that we can export it elsewhere. Now, the price that they're getting on the market isn't really uh, working out for them, but the concept is is similar.
5: Well, I think uh, look, I
4: think the concept of energy conservation is always uh, sensible. Uh, I mean, if we can if we can live our life in ways that just use a little bit less electricity, and the result is that we are just more efficient in our energy use and then we can sell our uh, our surplus energy elsewhere, I think that's great. Uh, and I think that is happening over time. The Canadian economy becomes more energy efficient by roughly 1% per year, which means we use a little bit less energy per, uh, per dollar of national income every year. But we could probably do better on that front. Um, and, and if we can export the surplus uh, to whoever needs it, likely, of course, in the United
1: States, then that's great. Christopher Reagan, Associate Professor of Economics at McGill University, joining us live on CJOB. Christopher, thank you for this. My pleasure. going to talk some football.
0: Yeah, the Bombers are on a bye week in week 2 of the CFL schedule. The blue and gold open the home portion of their 2019 season a week from tomorrow at IG Field when Edmonton comes to town. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers have yet to taste defeat in 2019, as Doug Brown pointed out on the latest edition of the Blue Bomber podcast, get it wherever quality podcasts are available. 3 wins and 3 starts. Counting preseason, as he has been since he arrived back home, the key to the Bombers' success on offense is number 33. First and goal at the two.
1: They're going to go right now and give it to Harris, and he's in for the touchdown. And the Blue Bombers have gone ahead by 10 points.
0: After back-to-back rushing titles in 2017 and 2018, Blue Bombers running back Andrew Harris, Continued his stellar play in the first week of 2019, rushing for 148 yards on 16 carries in that week one win at British Columbia. Harris also caught five passes for 27 yards and had five carries of 10 yards or more, finishing with a very impressive 9.25 yards per carry average. Andrew Harris joins us now. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Congratulations on uh, being named a Star of the Week. Uh, you getting used to that honour?
5: uh you never get used to it it's always it's always nice to uh to have good games and uh continue to uh you know help help contribute to help your team win and, and make it be an impact player so you know as long as uh as long as i'm doing that I'm, I'm i'm happy and uh you know those boys up front are happy as well
0: how beneficial is having a rock solid performance like you did personally and as a team in the season opener?
5: I mean it's crucial you go you go through preseason and uh it's just not the same it's you know it's it's a meaningless game and you know um for for the, for the young guys for the rookies you know it it's crucial for them to to make impact plays and 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 get noticed but a lot of the veterans is kind of just going through the motions. So, you know, um, for myself, you know, coming out strong. You know, I was really impressed with how our offense played and how our offensive line played, especially, you know, the three young guys we had in the middle there. I thought they uh, they responded to, uh, you know, how how they handled camp and and you know all the new things that we kind of put in and 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 just being a starter. You know, that's that's a lot of pressure for for some young linemen and um you know they they handled it well. So, um I was really really impressed with that. You're
1: in the bye week already. Is it weird to have a bye week so early in the season, or is that actually beneficial to you guys?
5: Uh, it's been weird. I mean, uh, in the last this last four years that I've been back to Winnipeg, we've had some weird uh, bye, bye week schedules. I mean, I think we had one. I think it was two years ago. It was it was week one. So, um, I mean, this this is this is an ideal, but. You know, we we get a week off now, and you gotta you gotta take advantage of the rest whenever you can get it. And uh, for us, it's, it just kind of gets us a chance to to reevaluate. You know where we're at. Um, we we have a couple guys that are a bit nicked up, so you know that'll be good to get to, to get everyone healthy and hopefully you know we'll be able to have a, our, our our full starting lineup in um, you know for the home opener on the twenty seventh.
3: Well, in some ways, I was going to say it comes at a good time because you get this break before the home opener, and I'm curious if it even feels like the season's really started until you've had a chance to play in front of your fans.
5: Yeah, I know. There's there's nothing like playing here at uh at IG Field and you know we're definitely excited to, to get that going, but you know it it definitely felt like the season started uh, out in BC. And I mean, you know you're playing against uh, you know one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in the league, in Mike Riley, and you know um, you know playing against a solid defense and and um, you know uh, Clayborn, who's who's a new head coach there. So there's a lot there's a lot of stuff, a lot of hype going into that game, and you know it definitely definitely felt like it was real. But uh, we're 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 looking forward to to getting back in our building and and you know having you know 30,000 plus fans out and 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 all that all the nonsense and ruckus that come along with that
0: so andrew you you got married in the last few months so congratulations on that thank you usually guys figure they can sort of back off on the workout routine after the wedding you know you slack off but you (laughs) seem to be in as good a shape as ever what i i know the drive is unmistakable with you but what are you doing and that that fountain of youth you seem to have found what's what's the key
5: well, I'll be honest. Uh, I used to have a six-pack, and it's and it's, it's it's kind of fading away now. So I don't know if that's my wife's fault or what, but uh, no, it, or it could just be the age. But uh, you know, for me, it's it's uh, I just do the right things. I I don't really work out as hard as I used to, as, as far as you know, being in the gym and lifting heavy weights. But I do play a lot of ice hockey. I do play a lot of basketball, and I don't really take too much time off. I'm always am always moving around and and a bit of a busybody. So um it comes to that point where you don't want to you want to just after the season you're just done playing you're you're done doing everything you just take two months off i i continue to always stay stay mobile stay active and uh just taking care of those little ins and outs and 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 staying flexible is the biggest thing for me um just staying mobile and, and as flexible as possible So that means sure. you're, so, and it,
3: you're not so really blessed. relaxing this bye week then
5: no, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm uh, We're building a fence, and we're, we're. You know, we had, we had a bit of a workout yesterday, and uh, um, it, you can't, you can't lay off right now. It's, it's, it's go time. So uh, we're, we're looking forward to, to getting this week off, which is not really a week off for us because we're, we're, we're in here every day working out with the guys, and I don't think too many guys have uh, got a chance to get out of here. So um, everyone's kind of staying tight knit and in the building.
1: Bob Irving said it was a good game. You guys played a solid game, but it wasn't the best game that he'd ever seen in terms of an effort uh, what do you think you guys could improve on after that first game
5: uh, i mean there was just little mistakes i think there was little things we can clean up i mean I, obviously if you have a, a, a kick return f- uh, for a touchdown that's never good so i mean there's little, little things you can tighten up for sure but overall to me like that that was a blue bar football game to me we run, ran the ball really well you know we had some big explosive plays in the past and, and I thought Matt handled the game well and was able to chew off some clock when he needed to. And then our defense showed up when they needed to as well. So uh, to me, that's uh, that, that's a Blue Bomber-style football game and, 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 and in fashion. And, you know, uh, I was proud of how it all played out.
0: Now, uh, one more before we let you go here. Off the field this time, what is that funky vehicle you're driving around town? A three-wheeled <laughs> that looks like the Batmobile. You still got that thing? Yeah.
5: <laughs> Yeah, no, that was uh, that was a sponsored vehicle from uh, Ron's Marine. Um, it was called the Polaris Slingshot. So I had it for the summer last year. It was it was a pretty cool little uh, little car. Um, it, it's basically just like a, a girl man golf cart. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it was it was lots of fun to drive around and definitely turned a lot of heads. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a cool vehicle.
1: All right, Andrew Harris, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Congratulations on the victory. Congratulations on Player of the Week. And uh, we'll see you next week for
5: the home opener. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. We'll see you next week. And again, that
1: home opener is a six-hour broadcast. We heard the Bob Irving promo, six-hour broadcast next Thursday. Next Thursday. Cannot wait. Uh, Should be a good crowd. Hopefully
0: the weather is terrific. You know, the weather shouldn't really matter. 80% of the seats are covered by those giant canopies. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you need to bug out a little bit and get underneath uh, the concourse and, and get some concessions, you can always be out of the weather at IG Field. It should be a great time.
1: Last week, Greg, we had an announcement from the province regarding the concert hall. Yeah, June 10th, the Manitoba government
0: announced uh, they are investing over $15 million in significant repairs and restoration of the Centennial Concert Hall. The 50-plus-year-old facility is getting a roof replacement along with the repair and restore of the stone cladding on the facade of the entire concert hall. Another project we've been anxious to hear about is work on the structural Acoustical Shell for the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. Daniel Reskin is here. He is music director of the WSO. Uh, And Daniel, tell us about this structural shell, because there's one on premise, but it's it's hanging way, way up above the stage. That's true. Good morning. Thank
6: you for having me here. And first of all, I want to say that this news about the government uh, investing in um, a maintenance of the concert hall, which is long due, is great news, and we're happy to hear that. That said, I must say that as music director of Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra, my only experience of actually having the concert shell on stage, the acoustical shell on stage with the orchestra, was when I visited the, the city for the very first time four and a half years ago. Soon after that, I was broke and uh, just fixed up there um, uh, above the stage because it's uh, unoperational. And uh, since 2016, um, fall 2016, we've been operating with a digital acoustical shell, which is a set of loudspeakers and microphones to somehow compensate for the lack of these natural reflections, which you'll get when you are surrounded by a structure that is known as acoustical shell. Basically, it's uh... it's a very simple mechanism. Uh, if you are in a room uh, with no walls and you are a couple of meters uh, away uh, from each other, you really need to scream at each other to hear because there's no reflection going on. Now you hang few mics above you and you have loudspeakers. You help somewhat, but it's still unnatural. You better be surrounded by a structure designed for that, so that there are uh, reflections going on. And uh, we're just very hopeful that. Uh, the um, at least a part of the money assigned for uh, the very needed repairs of the Centennial Concert Hall, which is uh, home to um, all the uh, arts community of Winnipeg. There's no other alternative in the city, as I learned to know now in my first year as music director. Where this, the, the, the Concert Hall is, is, is home to Winnipeg Royal Ballet and Manitoba Opera and um, Winnipeg Symphony. Um, we are probably the largest tenant in terms of uh, amount of services we uh, we rent from the concert hall, and by that we are also now in a in a situation where we rent the concert hall without the most important part of equipment we need as actually a symphony orchestra. So for us, it's really um, of greatest importance that the shell is uh, back on stage.
3: Have not having that shell or ha- not having as it should be has that changed the way? people within the symphony have had to practice or play or perform well
6: it's both ways it's both the orchestra had had to adjust strongly um you know i mean we are known as a world-class orchestra and i can attest to that that is absolutely the fact and the reputation of the orchestra outside uh the city outside the country um across the pond um is great but to maintain that level um, and without having the acoustical shell, it, it's of course an extra effort on a part of the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra musician, musicians. But also, um, I dare to say that uh, our audiences are—they're getting still great concerts, but not at the level they're used to. And probably they're s- now starting to forget how it was to have the concerts with the acoustical shell. And we don't want that to happen because. You know, you um, you want to enjoy the the product we are offering, uh, and this is a very high level product. We want to enjoy it in full, and not at a you know a discount of a twenty or twenty five percent because of the shell is not there.
0: So I'm thinking about the, um, the setup. I'm imagining the Hollywood Bowl, and because the Centennial Concert Hall is a multi purpose setup, it has to be suitable for the Royal Winnipeg Ballet yourselves and the other groups. It is different in terms of its construct and its physical structure, correct? Indeed, in a
6: way it's a unique uh, construction uh, that the shell itself is a part of of a construction. It's not something that is uh, assembled and disassembled every time, uh, you know, physically when the orchestra is on stage. It's, It's designed such way that when the orchestra is performing Parts of it are flying from above, parts are coming from the side. Then something that was hanging on as a ceiling is turning back and becomes a back wall. And it's it's a matter of pushing a couple of buttons and it should work. But when you are not uh, working on maintenance of the grid, it hangs on for f- more than 50 years now. Uh, like with any great piece of mechanics, you know... Uh, it will fail at a certain point. And that's what happened. It's still there. And it's actually um, a very heavy um, and, and, and very good quality um, component. But we just need to make uh, sure that it's operational again.
1: Greg, so we had something sent to us uh, this week from the Manitoba Brain Injury Association. June is Brain Injury Awareness Month, and I know this is an area of deep passion for you, so I'll let you take it away.
0: Yeah, well, during the month of June throughout Canada, uh, Manitoba Brain Injury Association is observing the Brain Injury Awareness Month. This is to highlight awareness on the effects and causes of brain injury across Canada. I think there are a lot of people that don't realize how easy it is to acquire and suffer a brain injury. Part of that mandate is to help educate the public about the incidence of brain injury and the needs of people with brain injuries and their families. The MBIA wants to destigmatize the injury, empower the survivors, and promote the types of support that are available including services provided by the MBIA. Gladys Harabi is Executive Director of the Manitoba Brain Injury Association. She joins us now. Good morning, Gladys.
7: Hi, good morning, and thank you for having us today. Well,
0: well, we appreciate it very much.
7: Uh, Tell us, uh,
0: uh, how common is brain injury? I I think it's probably more common than, than folks think.
7: Yeah, I think one of the things that we want to highlight for the Brain Injury Awareness Month is that how easy it is, as you've said earlier, how easy it is to actually acquire a brain injury. So, like in Canada, it is estimated that there are 166,000 brain injuries. So, basically, we have an estimated 1 in 26 Canadians are living with a brain injury. So, brain injuries can also range from mild traumatic brain injury or also known as concussion to moderate and severe brain injuries. So it is very common.
3: How are Canadians getting these injuries? I think we often imagine it's going to be something pretty horrific, like a terrible car crash or, or, or something like that. But how simple can the injury come upon us?
7: Yeah, exactly. And I think people, when they hear about brain injury, they usually think about fatalistic events or tragic events. But it can happen as as easily as when you fall and you just fall and you, and you Common causes of brain injury can be from falling or motor vehicle crashes. You don't even have to lose consciousness to have a concussion and have a lasting effect from concussion. And injuries related to sport and recreational activities are becoming more and more common.
0: I think that's uh, one of the big misconceptions in terms of severity of the injury your brain may suffer. It was always, uh, at least in my opinion, uh, tied to this loss of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I've also noticed we had Jim Kite, former Winnipeg Jet defenseman in the studio a couple of weeks ago, and he suffered a horrific uh, car accident where, and he's been dealing with a brain injury ever since. But he felt compelled... How do I put this? Um, he felt compelled to sort of outline how how serious the car accident was, and he went into details about what happened. And I deal with my own situation because mm-hmm. of an automobile accident. And it always feels to me as though I've got to explain to people what happened, how it happened, how fast the person that hit me was going in order for them to even sort of clue into the fact that I might genuinely be dealing with this. Do you understand where I'm coming from, Gladys?
7: And and I think that's basically the reason why we're dealing with a lot of advocacy work, because a lot of times it's so hard to to have a validation that you actually mm-hmm. have a brain injury. And the, the thing is, there's a lot of misconceptions about, first and foremost, concussion. So when you have a concussion, you always think that symptoms will subside quickly. But a lot of times, 30% of those who are having concussion have symptoms that are less obvious than others, and a lot of them have symptoms longer than four weeks. So when you say you have concussion, so you would expect that that would just subside quickly, and then it probably, because there's no um, like visible visible symptoms then you would not think that it's actually happening and a, a lot of times people would have a hard time trying to explain that because all of those symptoms are hard to see and they're and that's why it's called an invisible disability so a lot of those have to do with physical and mental like physical in terms of cognitive deficits like having a hard time trying to recall stuff memory issues trying to have chronic pain, chronic fatigue, that trying to explain to people would be hard unless they are actually experiencing and living with the injury.
1: Gladys Arabi is Executive Director of Manitoba Brain Injury Association, joining us to talk about how June is Brain Injury Awareness Month. Now, one of the things that your organization strives to do is to prevent brain injuries. So what do you do to try to reach that prevention?
7: Um, One of the things that we actually do is that we have an education as education and prevention as part of our mandate. So with that, we go to health facilities. We do outreach. At Riverview Health Center. So Riverview is an inpatient rehab in Winnipeg, and we also have ties with the Selkirk Mental Health Center. They have an ABI unit. But a lot of, um, but the biggest part of our prevention is our. Um, Prevention program with the high school students, so we start with them because a lot of times we think that children and youth they would have um, they would not be affected with brain injury, but on the opposite they ha- they are if they acquire concussion and brain injury, it will be harder for them to heal because their brains are not yet well developed so we have this prevention program it is um, we do workshops with and we partner with mpi with RCMP with the Winnipeg police to have this prevention to use to inform them about safety in the road and how easy they can get easily they can get a brain injury.
3: as part of your brain injury awareness month, you also mm-hmm. have a, a call out for folks to write to their MLA. What do you want to see done on the action side from a political level?
7: I think in the political level, there should be more awareness that um, brain injury is not just someone with on a wheelchair or someone have physically cannot do physically disabled. But a lot of times it has something to do with cognitive and mental. And it it is um, it is an all encompassing. Disability that it affects your entire your entire functioning because when your the main organ of your body is actually injured, then a lot of times it affects your entire physical, mental, and emotional state. And because of that, recognizing and responding to a mild traumatic injury like concussion is very important. And in in Manitoba and Winnipeg, we have the Pan, pan- Concussion Clinic, but they only cater to youth under 19 years old. So we don't have anybody above 19. So what they do is that they usually go to their family doctors and family doctors would refer them to CT scan and stuff like that. But it takes longer and sometimes concussion and mild traumatic injury cannot be seen from a CT scan. So that's it, yeah. That's
0: a really good point because yeah. it's a stumbling block in getting care as well. Because exactly. a lot of a lot of uh, healthcare practitioners, a lot of doctors, physicians, they they want that physical proof, and mm-hmm. and and sometimes uh, in advocating for yourself, you have to explain to them and educate them. Well, that's probably not going to show up, and so uh, not only do you have to have that conversation with your doctors and your family members and others in your community to understand what you're going through we 're learning more and more about that connection between brain injury and depression and other mental uh, wellness issues
7: and that 's one of the biggest issues as well because with uh, without physical physical manifestations, all you have is actually a self reported symptoms right and sometimes the self reported symptoms has comorbidities with other kind of mental issues like depression, so sometimes you would be referred to a psychiatric Psychiatrist or to psychologist when in fact what you have is a brain injury. It's not psychological. It's very organic, and it needs to be seen as that. And some it is not psychological. So there's gonna be mis in, like misdiagnosis, and you go to different areas trying to find answers to all the things that you're going through, and it gets frustrating. And the and the longer that you respond to that, to the injury, the higher risk of a long term impact it has in your ability to function
0: well. For me, it was 18 months before a psychiatrist who uh, took enough time Mm -hmm. to sit down and talk to me, interview my family members about who I was after my accident versus before my accident. It's only because of his care and compassion that Mm -hmm. I even had my brain injury diagnosed. So uh, lots of great information here, Gladys, and uh, appreciate you you existing in the first place and and, uh, continued success. Thank you.
7: Thank you
1: so much for having us. Gladys Sarabi is Executive Director of the Manitoba Brain Injury Association. The website is mbia.ca. The hashtag is B-I-A-M 2019. And again, brain injury is the number one cause of death and disability worldwide among those under the age of 44. So that's why there is a need for a Brain Injury Awareness Month.